Let me ask you to open your Bibles, please, again to Luke, the ninth chapter. Continue our study in this gospel and in this particular portion of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 9. Let me begin once more with verse 18. Our focus again will be on the 23rd verse, but let me begin reading with the 18th verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and must be killed on the third day, and must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that um, you would help us to continue to, to get our arms around what our Lord is saying here, especially in this, this 23rd verse Father, we, um, we want to hear him clearly, and we want to hear him carefully. We pray, Father, that you would grant us this wisdom, and that you would grant us those hearts eager uh, to deny ourselves, eager to take up our cross daily, eager to follow him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First chapter of John's Gospel in verse 29, John the baptizer pointing to Jesus tells two of his own disciples, you see this man over here? This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 41, one of those two disciples, Andrew, Andrew goes and he tells his brother Simon, the big fisherman, Peter, he tells him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. The next day, we're told in John chapter 1, verse 43, that Jesus calls a man named Philip to be one of his followers. And Philip, in verse 45, goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and tells him, we have found the one about whom Moses wrote, about whom Moses wrote in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, and his name is Jesus. Now from the beginning, from the very beginning, there were a few who had at least some of the facts straight. But it is not until here in Luke chapter 9 and verse 20 that one of them, Peter, makes this great confession. And in response to this confession that is made, Jesus begins to make very, very clear to his disciples what the future will bring for both himself as well as them. When Peter confesses in Luke chapter 9 and verse 20, you are the Christ 
of God. You are the anointed one. You are the promised one. You are the Messiah. You are the coming Savior. You are the Redeemer of Israel. You are the Son of David. You are the King who has come to defeat the enemy, to to rescue his people from the dominion of darkness and to empower them by grace through faith to to live as, as citizens of his kingdom and as ambassadors of the King. Now in Luke chapter 9, following verse 20, as we've seen, Jesus acknowledges Peter's confession. He, he warns his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. Not right now. It'll have, the wrong, it'll have the wrong consequences. He informs them about the things that he must suffer. And then, verse 23, he instructs them about what is required of anyone. Believing that, believing that Jesus is the Christ, anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and would choose to follow him, would choose to believe the gospel, that he is God come in human flesh, and that he has come into the world to live a sinless life and then to take upon himself the sins of his people and on Calvary's cross to suffer and die to, to pay for their transgressions so that by grace through faith they might know themselves forgiven They might know themselves now to be sons and daughters of God and that they might know themselves to to be empowered by him to live as image bearers of him. Jesus says, anyone who is going to believe in me in this fashion, anyone who is going to be saved, anyone who is going to be born again, anyone who is going to claim to be a believer must understand that they will also be my disciples. And this is what I require of those who are my disciples. This is what I require of those who would follow me. They must deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily. And they must follow me. They must deny themselves. We've talked about that. That's really great news. You've got to deny yourself. In the context here, Jesus speaking to these disciples of his that are Jewish, he is saying to them, you have got to understand, you have got to deny the fact that you have the ability to merit acceptance with God. And by denying the fact that you do not have within yourself the ability to earn acceptance with God, you have to acknowledge your absolute and utter dependence upon me and And then glory in the fact of knowing that I can rescue you from sin's curse and power. And I can graciously grant to you the gift of faith. That I can show you how you should live. That I can reveal to you true truth. And that I can empower you to do what I command. So deny yourself. Deny yourself and rest in me. Furthermore, you must eagerly and willingly... Take up your cross and follow me. Now, we understand a little bit about the cross. Daryl Bach writes in his commentary that a, a criminal sentenced to death by Rome had to carry his own cross to the place of execution. And that criminal bearing that cross upon his shoulders that served as a as a visible and and a public reminder to everyone who looked upon that spectacle that the people 
were in submission to the state. This prisoners, this prisoner was, was visually uh, in, uh, humiliated before the state. To bear one's cross was to submit to the authority of another. Jesus calls upon his disciples to eagerly and to willingly submit themselves to the authority of another. And therefore to embrace humbly their cross. Now Jesus makes it clear. It's interesting what we what we read in the Gospels and what we choose not to read in the Gospels, Jesus makes it very, very clear. He said, you know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. (laughs) If they despised and rejected me, why do you think it's going to be any better for you? That's exactly what Jesus told his disciples. Paul makes clear his understanding of all of this, I believe, when he writes in Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have died to the thoughts and to the philosophies and to the ways of this world, for I have chosen by grace through faith to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, to live by faith in who he is and in what he has done and in what he is doing and in what he commands. Jesus will die on a cross. Look, look, at, look, at, look at Luke 9, verse 22. Terribly important word here. Jesus will die on a cross because he must suffer many things. He must. That little word must, in the Greek, that little word, it speaks of an event that is necessary, absolutely necessary, because it has been planned and purposed by God. And in many cases, it's already been pronounced through his prophets in the Old Testament. Remember, remember Philip Going to Nathaniel and Philip saying to Nathaniel, saying to Nathaniel, what? We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. And Moses wrote about one who would be lifted up in the wilderness. And the prophets wrote about one who would take the guilt of his people upon him. And for them in their place, he would be slain. Jesus dies on a cross because he must. Having taken upon himself uh, our guilt, he, he suffers the cursed death of crucifixion to satisfy divine justice. And having loved us since before the foundation of the world, he dies to free us from the curse and power of sin. Jesus must die on the cross. He will die on a cross because... He will die on a cross because... He'll die on a cross because he doesn't he doesn't fit in with the world into which he was born. He will die on a cross because of the Pharisees, because of those who were zealous for the law, zealous for their traditions, zealously rich, religious, 
but who will despise him. They will say he is guilty of blasphemy. They will accuse Jesus of claiming to be God. They will point to the fact that on one occasion he looked at a fellow who was a paralytic and he had the audacity to say to that paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And they will whisper among each other, who can forgive sins but God? And they will charge him with blasphemy and they will despise him. They will accuse him of making himself the equivalent of who God is, which of course is exactly and precisely what he did because that is exactly and precisely who he is. And to their minds, therefore, he deserves to die. He deserves to die by stoning, but they don't have the authority to put anyone to death. So they have to take him to the Roman authorities. And, the Roman, and Rome's method of execution, especially for one who is of no more significance than an individual like Jesus, Rome's form of execution is crucifixion. Jesus will die on a cross because of the Sadducees. Now, if the Pharisees were the religious authorities of their day, the Sadducees were the political authorities of their day, at least that authority that had been given, them, given to them by Rome. They were men who enjoyed the position and the prestige and the power allowed them by Rome. And they felt absolutely threatened by Jesus. Look at, this is just... This is just, look at, I can't even talk about this. Look at John 11. I mean, if you want to be flabbergasted by unbelief, here, here be flabbergasted by unbelief. John chapter 11, verse 47. The report has just come back to these men, to these members of the Sanhedrin, and the leaders of the Sanhedrin were the Sadducees, those who didn't believe in the supernatural, those who were the theological liberals of their day those who were more interested in political power than they were in religious things. And they have just received report of the fact that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, and this is their conclusion. John chapter 11, verse 47, Then the chief priest and the Pharisees, the chief priest being Sadducees, the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they ask? Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, heaven forbid. And then, here you go, here you go, listen to it. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the nation, that one man die for the people, than that the whole nation perishes. Jesus will die on the cross because he must, because the Pharisees despise him, because the, the Sadducees feel threatened by him. He will die there because of what he says and how he lives. He, he speaks the truth in love, but it's not what they want to hear. He, he shows the love of God to others, but... The love that he shows includes many of questionable reputation. He is unwilling to compromise his message so as to make himself more acceptable to those in power because he is radically committed to doing the Father's will even to the point of laying down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd and I have come for that very purpose. 
and that is to lay down my life on behalf of my sheep. Christ will die on the cross for all of those reasons. Now you have to understand, we have to understand, we got to get our arms around this. We must be willing and eager to take up our cross daily and follow him. We must be willing to do that because we have to realize, we have to understand ahead of time so that we're not always so shocked and stunned when these realities just flood in on us. That if you take a stand for Jesus Christ in this world, you will be hated. Now, there may be many out there who will listen to what you have to say, and there may be some with whom you have opportunity to minister, and the Lord may choose to work through you and to accomplish great and wonderful things. But bottom line is, those who still adhere to the system of this world will hate you. Jesus said, they hated me, why do you think they won't hate you? We must be eager and willing to take up our cross daily and follow him, Because we have to understand ahead of time that if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, what we believe will not be acceptable to the world around us. That becomes clearer and clearer in the day in which we live. Cortez stood up here and sang about the things that we believe. You understand, you understand, don't you? That while most of you sat there listening to the quartet sing about the things that we believe, and most of us sat there going, Amen. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That is what I believe. You understand, don't you, that the vast majority of the world, including even the majority of those who would call themselves evangelical Christians, certainly in regards to some of the things that the quartet sang up here, would be going, well, I'm not sure about that. Not really sure I believe that. Not really sure that I accept that as being true. You understand, don't you? You understand ahead of time, don't you? We, we, we have to understand this ahead of time. That what we believe, it's not acceptable to the world. Let me just show you one passage about Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. One passage about Jesus. One scriptural statement about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The writer of Hebrews, I happen to know who wrote Hebrews, but I can't tell you or I'd have to kill you. But uh, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, this is what he writes. He's writing about Jesus. He says, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word and he has provided purification for sin And because the work that he did was was completed and it was finished, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God come in human flesh. We believe that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. We believe that Jesus is Savior and Master. 
Well, so what? <laughs> so, I mean, aren't we, aren't we allowed in this day and age to believe whatever we choose to believe? I mean, okay, we believe in Jesus, but... Listen, it's not that we believe that Jesus is one of the gods. That we believe, it is that we believe that Jesus is the only God. It's not that we believe that Jesus is one of many ways to God. It's that we believe that Jesus is the only way to God. It's not that we believe that Jesus provides us with one of many possible truthful understandings of the world in which we live. It's that we believe that Jesus is the only truth. What we believe is not politically correct. What we believe is a great insult to the world around us. The highest truth in the world around us, the highest truth in the world around us is that nobody better, nobody better say that what they believe is the truth. That's the highest truth. The highest truth in the world around us is that there is no truth. The most important virtue to the world around us is that you be broad-minded. That you be open-minded. That you be receptive to all kinds of thoughts and ideas and opinions. And that you give them equal weight. We don't accept any of that. Jesus taught that that is an abomination. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. That's the one whom we call Christ. That's the one whom we call Savior. That's the one whom we call Lord. Remember, <laughs> Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man in John chapter 9, and they accused him of breaking the Sabbath. They didn't stand back and go, he just opened the eyes of a blind man. They stood back and went, he broke the Sabbath. There's nothing new under the sun. I have read recent reports where tsunami relief efforts by Christians in the name of Christ has raised eyebrows. Because these people are doing what they do in the name of Jesus. Now, let's be clear we understand something here. Let's back up a moment. So, does taking up our cross daily and following Jesus mean that we're going to die as martyrs for the cause of Christ? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, you force me into a corner and I have to answer that question, I'm going to die. I don't think so. You know, by God's grace and God's mercy, this is the nation in which we live, in which we are still given the opportunity to exercise great freedoms. But you do understand, you do know that more of, the, more of Christ's followers were martyred during the 20th century than during all previous 19 centuries combined. You understand that? More people were martyred in the name of Christ in the 20th century than in all previous 19 centuries combined. 
But most of us, probably almost every one of us here, we're not going to die as martyrs. The issue is, are we committed to following Christ no matter what the cost? I mean, Paul would eventually be martyred, but even before he was martyred, he wrote at least twice about facing death on a daily basis for the cause of Christ. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I, I, face, I, I die every day. And in Romans 8, 36, he writes, we face, for your sake, O God, we face death all day long and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered, which, by the way, is a quotation from Psalm 44, and that's what we're going to look at this evening, that 44th Psalm from which Paul takes that quotation. I mean, obviously, not even all of Christ's disciples were martyred. John did not die a martyr. John died in exile on the island of Patmos. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, You've got all of those people through, uh, all of those people who suffered terrible martyrdom for the cause of Christ, but you also have all of those who lived glorious and uh, victorious lives for the cause of Christ. All of that's in God's hands. I, I, I don't know the end from the beginning, but when we are called upon to take up our cross and follow Him, what we are being called upon to do is commit ourselves to following Christ no matter what. Taking up one's cross and following him. It means that you are seeking to know him and to make him known that you're holding fast to that pattern of sound teaching that he has handed down to you no matter how others may may look at you. That you're striving to live your life in such a way as to demonstrate to a watching world what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is at work within you to will and to do his, his good pleasure. So what does it look like? What does this life look like? This life that is lived by taking up your cross daily and following him. You know, it's not nearly as spectacular as we might sometimes think by that particular language that is used. Let me show you. Let me show you a passage of scripture. Look at at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I find this incredibly instructive to me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll end with two passages of Scripture here. 1 Timothy, what does it mean to take up your cross daily and follow Christ? Well, after Paul gets through giving to Timothy all of the theology that he gives to Timothy and calling upon Timothy on at least two occasions to fight the good fight of faith. Hang in there. Fight the good fight. You know, complete the course, run the race. You stay faithful to Christ. Don't take your eyes off of him. Here are the conclusions to which Paul comes when he says to Timothy, all right, so what does that mean? This is what it means. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment, Timothy, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that 
plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Such people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, O, but you, man of God, you, man of God, you, O man of God, you, if you will allow me, who have taken up your cross daily, who take up your cross daily and follow hard after Christ, you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good, fight of faith. That's what it means to take up your cross daily and follow me. It means submit to me. Be ready, eager, and willing to do what I have for you to do. What does it mean? Look at Hebrews. Let me, one last passage. Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. Look at Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. I mean, after all that the writer of Hebrews has told us, after all the words that he has written about calling upon people to be faithful, calling upon people to hang in there, calling upon people to fix their eyes, the beginning of chapter 12, to fix their eyes upon Jesus, to throw away whatever sin entangles them, to run the good race of faith, if you will, to take up their cross daily and follow hard after him. This is what the writer of Hebrews, these are the conclusions to which the writer of Hebrews comes. What does that life look like? This is what it looks like. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing uh, so, uh, so, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me at the very worst? He can crucify me upon a cross. But I am willing. I am willing. I am eagerly willing. Because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. What he is doing and what he shall do. I am eagerly willing to take up my cross daily and follow him. Here's our prayer for each other. Here's the prayer that we should pray, one for the other. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That, that, that is what it means to take up your cross daily and to follow him. Let's pray. Will God fix our eyes upon Jesus?
Oh Lord, may we follow hard after him. May we be identified as his disciples and gladly so. God, use us to accomplish great and wonderful things. But no matter how strongly the winds may blow or how horribly the waves may roar, the Lord set us upon that rock. And may we stand there, unmovable, determined, because of the strength that you have given to remain faithful to you, to your holy purposes, to be focused upon one objective, and that is that all glory and honor and praise be given to my God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.